you this morning, and you want to turn there, we'll be taking some scripture out of the book of Jonah, and uh, we won't be, even though it's a very short book, we won't be reading the entirety of the book or anything like that, and I can think of no less than three or four times that since I've been pastor here that I've preached on the story of Jonah or the the happenings of Jonah, and um, you know, it, it comes up before me seems like often and I think part of the reason is is because sometimes I'm pretty resistant to following the will of God and you know because it brings us out of our comfort zone gets us to do things that otherwise we probably wouldn't uh, be willing to do but we'll start reading uh, in the book of Jonah at around uh, chapter 3 verse 1 and uh, I'll kind of just summarize it, although I don't think it's necessary for anyone here, but just to kind of recap everything, is that in the book of Jonah, the way that it starts out and the way most of the books of the prophets start out is it, it says something along the lines of uh, the word of the Lord came to and names the prophet and uh, narrows down exactly who they were by listing their father. It may list a particular year of a particular king or anything like that. Uh, this particular book, it just said the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And that's it. We don't know exactly what year, although scholars have pretty well pinned it down and everything. But God gives him a simple message. He tells him, go to Nineveh and preach to them. Nineveh's in Assyria. It was a place that had really afflicted the Israelites and uh, done them a lot of harm over hundreds of years. And uh, because the Lord is planning on destroying Nineveh. And Jonah's reaction is much like what the way we would have probably reacted if the word of the Lord would have come to us, uh, especially right after 9-11, and said, uh, Osama bin Laden's wickedness has come up before me and I'm going to destroy him. We would say, well, good. It's about time. Wonder when you was going to swing around to that. You know, it would be a day of great celebration in Israel that the Ninevites were wiped out. And Jonah's glad of this, but at the same token, God wants him to go and to preach to them and to try to get them to repent, to get them to turn from their wicked ways. And Jonah's reaction is, I don't want them to repent. I want them to burn. I want them to be destroyed. I want to visit the ruins of the city. I want it to be blotted out from memory. They deserve judgment. And this is no different than our own attitudes a lot of times whenever somebody's wronged us. Is that we look around and we say, Now God, how long are you going to be merciful with them? How long are you going to withhold your wrath? Never once looking around and saying, you know, if God had placed judgment on me like I placed judgment on others, I would have been burned to ash years ago. Thankfully, God is a merciful God and He he does have wrath and He is a vengeful God. But first and foremost, He's merciful. Especially if somebody is willing to turn. If at mere words, they will turn away. And so we know that uh, Jonah decides, I'm not going. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do, Lord. But rather, I'm going to go plumb the other direction. And finds himself out in the Mediterranean Sea. And a big storm comes along. uh, And of course, the boat's about to sink. And they try every way they can to keep the boat from going down. 
And he was there because he was outside of the will of God. Sometimes when difficulty comes in our life, we're there because we're outside the will of God. If you look at the storm on the Sea of Galilee, you'll find that the disciples were in the middle of the storm because they were in the will of God. And you've got to ask for discernment to know which is which. But I think when we're in rebellion, deep down we'll know. And so Jonah looks around and they cast lots and the lot falls to Jonah. And they're trying every way they can to keep from having to throw him overboard. And Jonah essentially looks at him and says, well, you got to. And the thing is, is Jonah, you know, we, we may think, well, you know, Jonah's just like, uh, well, we'll help these guys out. You know, he, he, he's quite a good guy. I think too deep back in Jonah's mind, he's like, can't go to Nineveh if I'm dead. He'll throw me overboard. And I will have to go to Nineveh because I'll drown. And then God's wrath, that He was so willing for the Ninevites to receive God's wrath. I think He was willing to die in order to accomplish it. And God thwarts Him yet again. Brings a fish in, or, or a whale, or ever how you want to interpret it. And it grabs Him. And then He finds Himself there. Worse than what it had been before. That in his prayer in chapter 2 there, if you look at chapter 2, verse 2, and I'll read it quickly, it says, And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and He heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Jonah was brought to a repentant state. And sometimes that why God allows us to suffer, sometimes it's to build, uh, to build us up. Sometimes... It's to tear down the wrong things and to bring us to a repentant state. Jonah was in rebellion against God. He cried out to God at this point. Prior to the storm and everything else, he was completely in rebellion against God. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, we find now that the word comes to Jonah again. Now chapter 2 ends with Jonah, and these are literally the King, uh, King James uh, English version, He's vomited upon the shore. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, arriving by vomit is not a preferred way of travel. I don't think anybody would be like, yeah, I'll, I'll try that. Any sane person anyway. And so we find him now having been placed upon the shore. Now this is still, still something that he's not wanting to go and do. But at the beginning of chapter 3, notice what it says. And it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Verse 3, And so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. Jonah was properly motivated. Said it should have taken him three days he got there and won. Jonah had decided that uh, if God said to go, he was going to go. And and he begins to go there. And he gets there at the end of the first day. As soon as he comes through the gates, I think that it was like, uh, almost like a a, a little kid that's got a big secret that they need to tell. When Jonah come through these gates, I doubt the gates were hardly open before he was a hollering at him. The word of the Lord's come to me, and your wickedness has come up before him. And then the guards were like, well, they should probably go see the king then. Probably, definitely, you know, everybody should know. And it says, 
In verse 4 it says, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his rope from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Wow, that's... <laughs> I don't know I've ever had a sermon be that successful. That Jonah comes into the city and he tells him, Hey! God's going to smack this place down in 40 days. It's going to be overthrown. And they listen. I've had days like that as a teacher. You know, there are certain days when I get up and I'm like, man, there might be two or three of them that's going to listen to this and, and the rest of them couldn't care less. Can't get them invested. And then some days where it seems like they've all bought in. And what a great time that it is. And I'll go home from work and, and remark to Crystal and the kids and say, man, they, they were on today. I don't know what happened. Wish I could have every day like that. And Jonah has this, this perfect storm. I'm pretty sure Noah would have looked around and said, that's really good. Because I spent about 120 years telling people that God's wrath was going to come and nobody listened. But Jonah comes in and he says this and even the king, the highest up, he jumps up from his throne, tears his clothes and repents in sackcloth and ashes. And the whole city does. They're like, well, we don't want that to happen. What can we do? In verse 7 it says, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? Wow, that's significant. I would say if this was the New Testament, the Lord would have marveled at that. Looked around and said, they've shown great faith. Jonah, this guy smelling of uh, fish vomit, comes into their city. I mean, you think about what a mess Jonah looked when he come in there. This would have been like a homeless guy standing out on the street corner with one of those signs, the end is nigh, and telling us these things. We'd be like, you know what, get away from me. You smell bad. I don't want to hear what you're saying. You're not presenting the message in an air-conditioned church with a nice suit and tie on in the exact way that I want to hear it. Not too loud, not too quiet. But just the perfect way. And this is the way the gospel is viewed by a lot of people nowadays. That if the preacher gets too loud, no, don't like that. Not loud enough, don't like that. If he doesn't rappel down from the ceiling, then I'm not entertained. But Jonah shows up and all he shows up with is a message that he can't wait to get said so he can get it done and over with. And he doesn't even have a good attitude about it. You may say, wait a minute, Brother Jeremiah, I thought he was motivated. Yes, he was motivated. But it was like a kid who had just got their hind end busted. And still yet on the inside, they're thinking, I ain't going to do this except for I know that I don't want to suffer this anymore. If I could get by with not doing it, I would. Because Jonah comes and he does this and it says in the last part of chapter 3 and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that He said that He would do unto them and He did it not. That they saved their city at Jonah's preaching. 
Probably one of the most successful preachers you'll read about in the Bible. Definitely in the top ten. Now he comes in, he tells them this, a very simple message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent! Be saved! And they do. From the top down. It was a revolution, not the kind of revolution like the American Revolution was, where it was more from the bottom up, but it was from the top down. The king said, hey, everybody's going to do this. We are going to turn this place around. Nineveh will no longer be a wicked and evil city. And where do we find Jonah in the aftermath? In chapter 4, you find Jonah. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. (laughs) I'll tell you... I don't think I would go home from people coming to the altar and repenting at my preaching feeling bad. Big danger for me would be feeling too good about myself rather than the saving power of God. Jonah is annoyed by their repentance. And it says in the next verse, says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's upset because God forgave them. Now here's the thing. We may be able to sit here in our comfortable positions and only hearing this and say, well, how could he be like that? Think about if somebody's wronged you or one of your children. Maybe killed one of them. And then they repent and God saves them. Would you be angry? Would you look around and say, wait a minute. This is a bad person. And God, why would you save them? That was Jonah's heart toward them. He was looking around. He was saying, they deserved to die. And whether we acknowledge it openly or not, that at one time or another in every one of our lives, we've looked at somebody and said they deserve to die. Think about this back when 9-11 happened. And I, and, I, and I observed this. You know, I was a very young Christian at that time after 9-11 happened. And I seen everybody running around and we were all very patriotic and upset because the United States had been attacked and everything. But the biggest problem that I seen was that when people said, God bless America... It was with gritted teeth and a clenched fist. God bless America. And so we go to a foreign country and we begin to fight a protracted war. And I've wondered about that. If Osama bin Laden had turned to the Lord and and, and made a, a public statement that he had accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, that he'd repented of his sin, And publicly apologized, knowing that that wouldn't bring his soul back. But repented of his sins. Would we have rejoiced in that? You don't have to say one way or the other, but think within yourself. Would you have rejoiced in that? Would you have marveled at the saving power and the greatness of God's mercy in that moment? Because I would say he's the most notorious character that we can come up with nowadays. I'm sure there'll be another along shortly. You probably won't have to wait long. But think about it. That's where Jonah was at here. We don't need to judge Jonah so harshly. He had been wronged. You have been wronged at some point in your life. How willing 
are you to forgive in the scale of God's forgiveness? Because Jonah said, I knew you would do that. I knew that you would forgive them. That's why I didn't want to go. Because according to Jonah, they all deserve to die. From the baby in the crib to the old man or the old woman, they all deserved it. Finally, the Ninevites were going to get theirs. And then notice in verse 4 it says, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Is it good for you to be angry? Because here's the thing. All sin is before God. While it may upset you, it upsets Him more. Uncleanness. The little white lie bothers God just as much as the murder or the theft or the adultery. You know, it, it, I wonder what it says about our society. And I, and I told this to a few co-workers a few years back that they would laugh and joke around about adultery, somebody else committing it. And I said, yeah, it's hilarious, I guess, as long as it doesn't happen to you. What does that say about our society when it's played for a joke? Violating the most sacred bond that can take place short of the bond between man and God. That it's a joke. And people don't take it seriously anymore. What does that say about a society? We here in the United States shouldn't stand back and say, well, those Ninevites were bad. I fear that we might be encroaching on their territory. And that repentance is what's needed. When people were hollering, God bless America with gritted teeth and a clenched fist, they should have been in sackcloth and ashes saying, God be merciful to the United States of America and help it to turn from its ways. And of course, not just the United States of America, but it's all over the world. There's a pandemic been going on for years, long before COVID ever happened, and it's called sin. And it's been plaguing man for a long time. And there's but one cure. There's only one way to be vaccinated against it. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way to be made clean. It's the only way to be made whole. And it's the only way to be saved. But people look around and they say, well, now there's certain ones that I don't want to be saved. Somebody that would almost utter the phrase, I wouldn't go to heaven with that person. Well, the thing is, with that kind of heart, you might find yourself in hell with them. Or maybe they'll find themselves in heaven and you'll find yourselves in hell. You know, we look around and we judge everybody so harshly, but when it comes to us, we want mercy. Because here sits Jonah after having rebelled against God. Do you remember what rebellion is the same as? Rebellion is the same as witchcraft. You don't believe me? Talk to King Saul. That's what Samuel told him. When he chose not to do... Now, he, he basically did everything God said to do. I mean, I didn't kill everybody. I kept the king alive and took him as a trophy. And, of course, all of their oxen and all that, you know, because I took the spoils of war. And God told him, I didn't tell you to do that. I told you to destroy everything. My judgment was complete. The Amalekites, you know, the thing that was so abominable about what they did and why it was that God said, they're going to get theirs later on. They attacked Israel when they were at their most vulnerable. And had God not intervened, they would have been destroyed. But they had done nothing to the Amalekites. 
You see now the, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and all them. The Israelites come and took their land or what they believed to be their own land. Yeah, I can understand why they would have a bit of a beef with Israel. But the Amalekites, they were just going to come and rob them and take their things. Carry off their women and children as prizes of war and slaughter all the men. Do essentially what Pharaoh tried to do to Israel when they were still in captivity. You remember what he tried to do? He tried to get rid of all of the male children. He knew that eventually if he'd done all that, then they wouldn't be outbreeding the Egyptians and then they wouldn't be strangers in their own land. Okay, it's, it's real easy to look around and pronounce death and judgment on everybody else and rebel against the will of God. Which is what Jonah was doing. How he found himself in the belly of a whale or great fish or ever how somebody wants to interpret it was that he was rebelling against God. And yet God was merciful to him. That great fish or whale was God's mercy upon Jonah. Because had he died then, he would have been in a state of complete and utter rebellion against God. And I can tell you, dying in that state's not a good state to die in. And so, says in verse 5, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. He's sitting there hoping that calamity is going to befall them. Fingers crossed that maybe God will go ahead and wipe them out. Maybe there'll be a few that didn't repent, and God will take them down. This was what was in his heart. This was what was wrong with Jonah. And you see, we've got to be careful in our wrath. We've got to be careful when we get upset at somebody and don't want to forgive. We don't find ourselves in a similar attitude because it's real easy to do. That is human nature. We don't have to teach a kid to be kind. We, have to te- or we don't have to teach a kid to not be kind. We have to teach them to be kind. We don't have to teach them to lie. We have to teach them to tell the truth. The natural reaction is, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You make me mad, I'm going to punch you in the face. If I want what you have, I'm going to take it. This is the natural tendency of man. Only through communion with God does a man overcome those sorts of things. So it says in verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come, made it to come over up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. God made something grow up over him overnight, shaded him really good, took care of him, Verse 7, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd and it weathered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, and God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. He said, yes. This is a rotten situation and I would rather die. And yet God continues to deal with him mercifully. See, this is the part of Jonah that I don't think in Sunday school we often talk about, especially when you've got a classroom full of little kids. You talk about the fact that he was swallowed by a great fish and that he went there and he eventually did what God had asked him to do, but you don't talk about the fact that he was still mad about it. 
And he only did it because he was basically left with no other choice. That's not obedience. Obedience is not when that you are forced to do it and you can't get out of it. Obedience is when you have the right heart and the right attitude. And you'll notice that Jonah closes out with God speaking to Jonah. It says in verse 10, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. God told you, you're sad about the gourd, but you're not worried about this city. As he goes on in verse 11, says, Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? God tells him, this is a city of thousands of people and you would rather them perish. 120,000 people. You remember how we reacted in the United States when 3,000 died in the 9-11 attacks? We were all indignant, all upset, casting our eyes eastward at the nefarious character who apparently did this great evil to us, and it was just 3,000 people. Jonah is sitting there with his fingers crossed, hoping that 120,000 people are wiped out, and also much cattle. You know, nowadays, I think people would be more upset about the cattle than they would the people, the way that it's going. And that's that's how the book of Jonah ends. Is God saying, are you kidding me, Jonah? You're upset about a gourd that grew up in the night and died in the night? But a city of 120,000 you couldn't care less about. You see, the problem is the attitude. The right attitude helps to put everything into perspective. We can get upset about one thing and then be perfectly fine with another. Well, here's the thing. All sin should upset a Christian. All of it. Now, does that mean that you're going to go and, you know, wrap some barbed wire around a baseball bat and go dealing with people? No, but it should be something that you're saying, Lord God, save us from our sins. Because if you turn all the way back into the book of Exodus, and after the Israelites had flourished there for about 400 years and everything, that when they began to cry out to God, that's when God sent word to Moses. And he said, I've heard their cry. I have heard them and I will deliver them. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people, which are called by my name, God is essentially saying this, any people who are called by His name, if they'll repent and turn themselves to Him, He'll heal their land. If you read in the book of Joel, you'll find that stuff, stuff's pretty bad in the book of Joel. Very little hope. All of the crops have been eaten up. There's a famine in the land. Uh, There's a famine for the hearing of the Word of God. Just like there is in present day United States of America. I'll tell you if nothing else what COVID-19 has done is it's caused a famine. It's caused a famine of people wanting to come out to the house of the Lord because it's a very convenient excuse. It's very easy. And let me tell you something. When it comes to serving God, there's always going to be a convenient excuse. There's always going to be a reason not to. Trust me, I know. 
lot of personal experience with groping about trying to find a good excuse to not follow the will of God. To try to justify my misdeeds, my lascivious thoughts, my thefts, and all of these things murdering people in my heart. And then look around and say, but now that guy over there, he shouldn't get the mercy that I get. You see, because that's the problem. A lot of times when people look at the modern church, all they see is condemnation. But I'm more ascribed to what uh, John wrote down in his gospel in the third chapter. That the world was already condemned. You see, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. It was already condemned. It was already that way. He came to fix it. He came to give them something, another option. Jonah, what he showed up and gave the Ninevites was an option other than destruction. Because they didn't know any better. This was just the way that it had always been. Well, a lot of people out there, they don't know any better. That's just the way that it's always been. And we look around and we find ourselves looking at the drug addicted and the ones that are taken in faults and sins and things like that. And we say, well, at least I'm not like those jokers. And then you find yourself in the same spirit as the Pharisee that went up to the temple to pray and said, oh, I fast often and I give my tithes and I read my Bible every day and I attend church every Sunday and that's all well and good, but the problem has to be rectified in the heart that Jonah obeyed God only because that he was left with no other choice. Now here's the thing. I don't think I'm going to go to heaven and look around and not be able to find Jonah. This was God dealing with Jonah. Getting him straightened out. If you were to read the story of my life and see where that God dealt with me, I guarantee you I wouldn't look like the hero of the story. I'd be the villain. I'd be the bad guy. And we like to think of ourselves as the hero of our own narrative, right? We're the one that stands up to the bully. We're the one that that does what's right no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way. But are we really? I mean, Jonah, if nothing else, you can take this as just an allegory of what might take place in your own head when God says, hey, go witness to that person. I don't want to. (laughs) I need to get home. I'm hungry. I'm busy. Jonah probably come up with every excuse. Figured, hey, if I go to Tarshish, I'll just be too far away and maybe God will send somebody else or maybe God won't send anybody. I don't care. You ever found yourself in that situation? Now I'll tell you a unique situation that I found myself in a couple of years ago. I had brought Sister Crystal down to Cabell Huntington Hospital for a procedure. And it was uh, on a Sunday evening. No idea why that they decided to do it then, but that's when they wanted to do it. I find myself sitting in the empty waiting room where the outpatient surgery is, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with that particular area. There are chairs and everything everywhere, and I was out there by myself, and I was in a bad mood. I don't remember in particular what my bad mood was, but I know my attitude was wrong. And there was a man and a woman come out, sat down there, that uh, apparently a child dear to them had just been taken back for surgery, admitted in the hospital. And I was talking with them. And the woman, it became very apparent very quickly the woman was a Christian. She struck up a conversation with me and began to melt the ice of my bad mood. Because (laughs) she was kind of witnessing to me. Maybe she saw the sour look on my face or something. Thought I needed minister to her. I'm a pastor of a church, you know. I, uh, 
you know, I should be ministering to other people. And the young man that she was with, I could tell he was in great distress and he didn't much want to hear it. And he said he was going to go get him a cup of coffee. And he got up and he left. The woman got up and she came sit right next to me. Leaned over and began to whisper and said, that young man there's my son. And uh, she said, the only child he's got left just went back for surgery. And he's... She said, he's been a Christian most of his life. She said, but he's angry at God. And I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, earlier this week, she said, you probably heard about it on the news. His wife took a gun and shot all three of their children and then killed herself. And killed two of the three children, and it wasn't for lack of trying with the third one. And the prognosis wasn't great on this third kid that had just been taken back for another brain surgery. And I'll tell you, really changed my attitude in that moment. Because I was aggravated because I was inconvenienced. <laughs> because I found myself that things weren't going quite my way. And I, I would imagine that it was the usual list of things that were annoying me and bothering me at the time. And here this man was that his only surviving child was back there fighting for their life. And she said, will you pray with me? Now, if she'd have said that as soon as she'd have sat down, if I'd have prayed, it would have been garbage prayer. You ever, you ever had those? Where your, your attitude's not right and you're praying, but it's with gritted teeth and a clenched fist? And I'm telling you that I wept. And I prayed like I wouldn't have been able to pray. I think maybe that's where Jonah was at here, that God got him to the right point the right frame of mind and the right attitude. Now, I wasn't unsaved at the time. I wasn't unsaved because of my attitude, but I wasn't much good either. And that's what we got to be careful about. we got to keep that joy of the Lord in our lives. Not happiness. Happiness is just about what's happening. But joy... That no matter what, we look around and say, you know what, even if, even if I find my house a dung heap... I've still got God on the throne of Jesus Christ in my heart. That I've still got salvation. That if the worst thing comes along, I'm still saved and I still have hope because of the saving power of Jesus Christ and His blood shed for me. And I had put that on the back burner in that time. I don't know the fate of that little boy that his own mother had betrayed that sacred trust of parenthood. I don't know what was going on with her, and I don't know what happened to the, to the man. I know it happened not far from where I was actually working at that time. Because it was right in the city of Hurricane. And my office was not far from there. But I can tell you this, God knows. And I don't, even in the slightest, think that my prayer went unheeded. But sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? When we pray for somebody that we care very much about and they just show no signs of improvement. But you know what? The Lord hears the cries of those that cry day and night. That He sees every tear fall from our eyes. He hears every prayer uttered. Whether it's with the right attitude or the wrong attitude. And I can tell you that a lot of times when God's will comes along, we must find ourselves with the right attitude. Even if it's, well, Lord, I don't think it'll do any good, but I'm going to go. 
And I know that you're good. And I know that you can accomplish something. You see, a lot of times we find ourselves looking around in this day and time and thinking, is there anybody that's really going to turn their heart to the Lord? Well, I have to say yes. Because even in the last days, Jesus himself, he said, now people will be going about marrying and giving in marriage just like it was in the times of Noah. But the thing is, is that the Lord is still saving people if they will turn to him. Second Chronicles 7.14 He said that if they'll repent He'll heal their land. If they turn to Him He will fix it. And He's the only one that can fix this. This world's a mess. And it's just getting worse. There are wars and rumors of wars. It's the things that, you know, we look around and, I, and I've always thought about this. A lot of people read the book of the Revelation and they think, oh, well, you know, these, these things will be very obvious and stuff like that. Well, it may be that it's obvious only to those that are looking. When God's working, a lot of times it's only obvious to those that are paying attention. We've got to ask ourselves, are we paying attention? Do we have the right attitude when it comes to the Scriptures? When it comes to the will of God? Or do we find ourselves kind of like Jonah where we might be people of God, but we really don't want to have to do anything. We want to be inconvenienced. And the ones that deserve death, we're sitting back with our fingers crossed hoping that's what happens. I can tell you that's a poor attitude to have rather than seeking the mercy of God for all peoples. You may say, well, Brother Jeremiah, that's just not in me to do that. Well, then ask the Lord to put it in there. Because the good things, they only come from God. They don't come from within you. They come from Him. And then the world sees them come out of you. And then they'll see your God in you. Let's everyone stand and get a song.